Before we get into it, uh, I wanted to ask a question because that's, that's what I do. I wanted to ask you a question. What, when was the last time you really felt happy? When was the last time you really felt happy? Maybe it was when you got the, the promotion at work. You'd been working really hard. You, you for a while felt like you weren't being vindicated. You weren't being appreciated. And then all of a sudden your boss calls you into the office and says, you know what, we're going to go ahead and bump your pay and, uh, and give you that title that you've really been working in for, for so long. We're going to honor what you've been doing. And they, they give you that promotion and you feel happy. Or maybe, maybe it was just the kind gesture that someone gave you. You were in the Starbucks drive through line. You get to, uh, to the window and you're about to pay. And they say, you know what, the person in front of you took care of it. And you're like, oh, it's Thursday. Thank you, WGTS. That's so nice. And you get excited. You get, you get a little happy. Um, maybe it was when you uh, took that fork and took the first bite of that strawberry rhubarb pie. Uh, that wasn't the last time I was happy, but it, it was a moment of happiness, as many of you know. The fact that we can reflect on this idea of the last time you were happy illustrates the point that happiness comes and goes. I'll repeat that. The fact that you and I can have the conversation of thinking about, okay, when was the last time I was really happy, means that there are times when you are not really happy. And, and I want us to think about what would it be like if we had happiness that didn't come and go? What, what if we could have the kind of happiness that wasn't the result of our circumstances, but instead it was something that we possessed despite our circumstances? That's what I want us to think about today as we're getting into the Word. So if you'll stand with me, we're going to read out of Philippians chapter 1, verses 18, the second part of verses 18. Uh, 18. Okay, well, we'll read from 12 on. And there we go, okay. 18, Um, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. We'll keep going. Well, here's what I'm going to do. We stand, I'm going to read, and you guys listen as we we progress. Father, help us. (laughs) Okay, great. Verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. 
This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that, that there is a kind of joy that, that reaches down at a subterranean level below the difficulties of our circumstances, the trials of life, the pain that we experience, and draws us up to experience the expansive wonder of your goodness. And God, I pray that as we consider your word, as we consider Paul's circumstances, as we consider our our own circumstances, God, would you allow us to dig down to that area of joy and, and really identify the fact that if we are in Christ, if we are confident in our salvation, then there's nothing neither in life or in death that can rob us of our joy. God, I pray that you would give us the kind of confidence that makes us strong, tenacious people. Help us in all this, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Can you guys give it up to the AV team? They, they, they got a curveball, and, and here we are. Well, last week I talked about the idea of joy, and, and really we, we talked about how if, if God is the main character in your life, if you recognize that your life is not ultimately uh, terminating on you, but it terminates on God, it, it's purpose and uh, direction is toward God, then even in your darkest hour, you can have joy. That was what we talked about. Paul was in a dark moment of his own life, but he could have joy because he understood he was not the main character, God was. This week, I think we're going to continue in that theme of joy, and we'll see that because our salvation is secure, because our salvation is secure, nothing in life or in death can rob us of that joy. I'll say it again. Because our salvation is secure, for those of us who are following Jesus Christ, who have trusted him to be our Lord and Savior, who have turned away from sin and turned to him, for those of us who have done those things and trusted him, nothing in life or in death can rob us of our joy. And and here's here's what I mean as we're going to think through this text. First, the the life of a Christian is, is a life of joy. Now, you may experience pain and, and disappointment and sorrow, but, but the Bible says, and it even commands us, that we can still rejoice. And second, because we, we, we know that, that we're called to rejoice, it's important to know the reason that we can rejoice, and the reason is that we are saved, right? We, we, we can rejoice because of our salvation. And finally, this, this salvation, that mean, it means that both in life and death, both of these things become servants of God in his purposes for us. So we, we can rejoice because of our salvation and because of our salvation, all the things that happen in your life, even the things that are happening right now that are causing turmoil and stress in your life are really instruments for God's glory and your joy. All right? But maybe you don't believe me that, that the life of a Christian is a life of joy. So let's think about that for a moment. Let's consider that, that assertion. It, he says in, in verse 18, we, we read part of it last week, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. And then this week he says, Yes, and I will rejoice. Paul told us that he would rejoice even though he was in prison. He was not able to do what he was been, been, he had been given the mission to do, which was to plant churches, raise up leaders, develop uh, disciples. 
And, and in fact, there were people who were outside of prison who were trying to do things specifically to hurt him. And despite all that, he says, I rejoice because Christ is being preached. And here again, he's proclaiming, I will rejoice. Even though he's in prison, even though he can't do the, all the things that I would imagine that he'd want to be doing, and even though there are people who are actively opposing him. Now, if you think about those circumstances and you put yourself in that position, I don't know that joy or happiness is the first thing that kind of bubbles out of your heart. I know that what would tend to bubble out of my heart is anger, frustration, resentment, bitterness, discouragement. God, why, why'd you do this to me? Why'd you put me in this situation? Didn't you call me to do that thing? Didn't you give me, the, you know, you wanted me to, to minister, but here I am in prison. You wanted me to, to share the good news, but I'm in shackles. Jesus, I thought that you died so that I could be free. But he's, he's saying, I will rejoice. Paul has what I would call uh, gospel tenacity. Uh, and, and this is what it looks like. So um, I need someone very strong. Christian, come on up. I thought about texting you beforehand, but then I didn't. So this is, uh, this is a pencil, but we're going to pretend that, that this, is, um, these are, this is our happiness in life, right? This, when, when the circumstances of your life and my life make us happy, right? Um, and we come across a moment where we're, we're going we're to be tried, and I just want you to try and break that. Just, just break it. Break it. Good job. I'm glad that worked. Like, try and break it? What are you trying to say? Sometimes life, uh, in life, our happiness is, <laughs> is very, very fickle, very weak, and, and it breaks easily. And we've all experienced that. But, but gospel tenacity is this thing where your life is connected with eternity. Now, I would have gotten a, an eternal stick, but it's too long and it costs too much. <laughs> so we got a broom stick. Um, so I want you to do the same thing. Life happens. There are difficulties. Actually, no, I want you to. There we go. There. Now, you go ahead and try and break that. If you break it, you've broken my illustration. You broke the other one. Good job. I hope you didn't broke your arm. break your arm. Everyone, give it up for Christian. Thank you, my brother. The point I'm trying to make is, he dented it. I mean, and sometimes you feel dented in life, right? Some of us have some dings. But gospel tenacity is the thing that connects us to the power of Christ such that our happiness is no longer based on our circumstances, and it doesn't break. It doesn't break. It's the character trait that looks out beyond our circumstances and focuses on God who loves you, who saved you, and who has an eternal plan for your life. In Hebrews chapter 12, or yeah, chapter 12, uh, the writer reflects on Jesus, him, or, yeah, on Jesus himself and, and talks about how he fulfilled his mission. If I can get there. Hebrews chapter 12. There we go. 
And it says this, talking about Jesus, that he looked, that we can look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, Jesus is a little different because he is God, but he had a purpose that was based on God's plan in eternity. And even though he experienced a great deal of pain over a period of time, he knew and he was looking into eternity and he was seeing all the faces of those who he would save through his sacrifice. And it says that for the joy that he saw before him, he was able to endure. In, in Daniel chapter 3, there's a story, and, and, and if you've grown up in church, you're probably familiar with it, uh, of these three boys who, who were exiles. And they, they were in a foreign land. And they were serving a foreign king, Nebuchadnezzar. And, and Nebuchadnezzar has this great idea. I think everyone should work, worship me. And it says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth was 6 cubits. It's a really big idol. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And the king Nebuchadnezzar, then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the counselors, all the leaders, all the people... Uh, of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justice, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of that image. And they stood before the image that he'd set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of all these various instruments... You are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Now these three Jewish boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will not do it. They will do a lot of things. They will serve faithfully. They They will do what they've been told to do, but they will not worship this idol. And I want you to listen to these awesome words that these guys say. Shadrach, Meshach. Meshach and Abednego, after they get caught, they, they haven't worshipped, uh, and, and Nebuchadnezzar is like, what? What are you doing? You're not going to bow down to me? You're not going to worship me? They answered and said to the king, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, in other words, he's about to throw them into the fiery furnace. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. King, we're not going to do it. And our God is able and he will save us. But if he doesn't save us, we're still not going to do it. Because even in the Old Testament, they knew that there was a future in God. And so even this light and momentary affliction was nothing in compared to the eternal weight of glory. I'm quoting out of 2 Corinthians, the eternal weight of glory that they saw in following and obeying Jesus. They had gospel tenacity. In Psalm chapter 37, the, the psalmist is, 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 is thinking about how he sees so much success in the world of unbelievers and and the wicked, and it says that he almost stumbled. He almost thought to himself, man, I should just give this whole thing up. 
He, he was looking at, again, to use this analogy, he was looking at this part of his life and saying, this part of my life is really hard. Maybe I should just give up. But it says he, he, he st- almost stumbled. But then he remembered. He says in verse 23, nevertheless, I am continually with you. God, you hold me, or hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You hear what he's saying? He's saying, all of these other things will fail me. Your life will fail you. Your friends will fail you. Your spouse will fail you. Your job will fail you. Your body will fail you. Sometimes it's a temporary failure. Sometimes it's a permanent failure. But none of these things are intended to be foundational. But God, he is your strength and he is your portion. And he is the one that you will have no matter what. If anything and everything else is taken away, you will have God. We could survey the Bible and the history of the church for others whose lives were motivated by the fact that God had secured their future so they didn't worry about their present. And this, it would take forever. I would encourage you, there's a, there's a book called uh, Fox's Book of the Martyrs. You could read that. Uh, you could read about the early church and, and, and the, the persecutions that they endured. I mean, you could read the, the book of Acts. But, but these believers lived knowing something about the future that informed their present. And family, I want to tell you that we live in a time where it's really hard to, to think and live that way. Because there's so much in the present that is so uh, appealing that our, our thoughts are constantly on the here and now. You get a headache, you take some medicine. You get uncomfortable, you buy something more comfortable. You know, you can, you can go to Target and buy a... Buy a, a, a mattress in a big box and take it home and it's awesome we were in front royal at this festival and and there were some like colonial uh buildings and and we went in and saw the bed and the bed was a bed frame like a normal bed frame but where you know the casper mattress should have been there was a rope that had been tied in a grid and like a, a a quilt on top so they slept on a rope and a thin quilt and hopefully got, you know, a good night's rest. It was a different time. In our time, it's easy to be comfortable. It's easy to, to uh, anesthetize ourselves to the pain that we have. And, and it's easy to get distracted from eternity. That's not on my notes, but it's worthwhile. Um, despite his circumstances, Paul, because of his gospel tenacity, was able to rejoice in God. And you can too, family. I want to encourage you that you can too. And I want you to see the reasons that he gives for, for his joy. Let, let's look at the next few verses. He says in, in verse 19, for, right? I, yes, I will rejoice, verse 19, for, because I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ that this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul gives us the reason for his confidence, namely that through their prayers and the work of the Holy Spirit in his life, God would deliver him. Now, what is he talking about when he says deliverance? That's an important word. Because he goes on and he talks about being delivered into death. And so that's not really what I think about when I think about deliverance. If, if, I, if I pray, God, please help me. Please help me to get through this trial. What I don't mean is, God, make this trial so hard that I die. 
That's not usually my prayer, but, but he prays something. So deliverance doesn't quite necessarily mean what we might think it means. He goes on and he says in verse 20, as, as it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with, with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. There it is. There, there's his hope, there's his, his deliverance, that whether by death or by life, Jesus is honored in his body, in his being, in his existence. That for him is deliverance. Another way we could say it is salvation. Family, God doesn't save you just to get you out of the pits of hell. He saves you so that you can be restored to be the image of his glory here on earth. And that salvation, that opportunity to glorify him is given to us as a primary component of our salvation. And he's saying, I'm going to be delivered. I'm still going to be able to honor God, whether I live or I die. He, he, even the word there, deliverance, if you, you might look in another translation, but the, the word behind it is the same word for salvation. He states more explicitly that without, whether by life or death, he will honor Christ. Paul tells us that he can rejoice in his present circumstances, not because they're easy, not because they're fun, not because he's um, masochistic, but because, because he knows that his salvation is secure. He knows that his salvation is secure. And how does Paul say that God will ensure his deliverance? How is God going to secure his salvation? By the prayers of the people and the help of the Holy Spirit. I'm preaching to the choir, but tell your friends, come to church. Come to church. Every week, come to church. This is not for me. God has so created his people that you cannot do the Christian life without other Christians. Paul, kind of a big deal in the church. He, he did some things, planted a lot of churches, established most of the New Testament, kind of a big deal. He is saying he can't do it on his own. He says, I know that I will be delivered by your prayers. Some of you, you're like, I don't know what to do. I don't have a lot to offer. Pray for the people around you. Write down some names today. How are you doing? Oh, you know, things are tough. You know, we, we've got some car issues. Let me pray for you. And then pray for that person. And see God move on behalf of your prayers. Pray for me. I need it. Ask anyone close to me. I'm like, yeah, and he needs it. Pray for me. My, my progress in God is, is in some ways dependent upon your willingness to pray for me. The, the progress of your brothers and sisters in Christ is somewhat dependent on your ability to pray and come alongside them in faith. We're called to be a community of people who lift one another up, pray for one another. And when you're discouraged, remember that you have the help of the Holy Spirit. Jesus died, and, and we talk about it in the life of the Spirit, but Jesus died in order to, to make way for the Holy Spirit. That's one of the reasons that he goes and he dies and, and goes back to heaven, is so that he might send the Holy Spirit who now dwells with us. And because, because of this, uh, he's able to, because he's, he's sure of his salvation, because he's confident that God's going to save him, he can rejoice. What about us? When was the last time you thought deeply about your salvation? 
Maybe, maybe the dullness that you experience and feel in your life isn't necessarily because there's, there's a great deal of sin in your life. Maybe it's because you haven't reflected on God's goodness. You haven't reflected on, 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 on how awesome God is. Again, to use this, you guys are going to remember this, for better or worse. Sometimes our, our difficulties and our pain cause us to focus on this. And we begin to say, man, this is one, this, is a, this pencil's made of wood. Wood's hard to break. I've seen an oak. An oak. I couldn't break an oak. I mean, and this has got metal on it, and the me- I can't bend metal. I mean, I'm trying to bend it. I can't. And, and we begin to focus in on the difficulties of life as though this didn't exist. Paul says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the free gift of God is eternal life. And those two little words, it's easy to, oh, eternal life, great, yeah, wonderful. But what does that look like? What are you and I going to be doing for eternity? What kind of, are, are there going to be professions? Are we going to be working with our hands? Are we going to, how, what is worship going to look like? Right, what style of music is God going to choose? Is there going to be an organ or are there going to be drums? Or is there going to be a contemporary service and there's going to be a tradition? What is it going to look like? When we begin to put our eyes on, on who God is and what eternity looks like, it begins to, to lift us up so that, that this little thing doesn't look so big anymore. Ephesians 2, I quote it often. It says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. We're all, we're all dead in our sins and trespasses, but God being rich in mercy, verse 4, because of his great love, saves us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. Right? Even when you and I were dead in our trespasses and sins. Not when we were saying, God, you know, I like you, you like me, we're good, let's, 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 let's reconnect. No, when we were saying, God, I don't want anything to do with you, he was pursuing you and me. When we were unresponsive, have you ever had a conversation with someone where they just straight ignored you? And, and you knew that they were ignoring you and it infuriated you? Just me? That, that's how we've treated God for our lives. And, and, and he's not you and me. He's not just some person. He's the most infinitely worthy and worthwhile person to never ignore in all of creation. And we've ignored him. We said, I, you know, I'm... That's what it means to be dead in, in our sins and trespasses. We're unresponsive as it comes to God. And he says, even then, God was like, I love you. I'm going to choose you. I'm going to save you. If you've entrusted your life to Jesus, that means that nothing in this life or the next life can take away all that you have in Jesus. And if you begin to think about that, it'll give, it'll give you joy. A deep joy that your circumstances cannot take away. It may not take away your circumstances. That's the challenge of this life, is thinking about the benefits of God does not necessarily remove the brokenness of your life. Thinking about the benefits of God does not necessarily remove the, the brokenness in your life, but what it does is it sets it in perspective. And because of this, in fact, not only are life and death no longer a threat to us, but they secure and serve God's purposes for us. We're going to read verses 21 through 26 and finish this up. Uh, this is Ephesians. He says, for me, I'm sorry, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. In other words, 
the way I see it is that to live is to live according to God's purposes in Christ, and to die is to receive my reward, who is Christ. If I'm to live in the flesh, verse 22, that means fruitful labor for me. And what he doesn't say, but if I die, I get to be with Jesus. Yet, which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to be, to depart and to be with Christ, for, for that's far better. He's not being, he's not being sardonic or, or depressed or, he's being real. And he's being honest about his situation. He's not trying to escape his life. I, I, I want to say that because what this isn't is, is just him saying, you know what, let's just, let's just get beamed up. You know, he's saying, you know what, it's going to be better. I know it's going to be better, and I long for that. And if you long for that, that's okay. Some days you wake up and you're like, Jesus, I, I know i got things to do, but I'm, I miss you. I feel like the older we get, the more that we feel that way. And if you ever have conversations with saints who are, who are near the point of, of going to be with God, you, you hear them start to talk about, just thinking about heaven, just thinking about my Lord. But... But he's not being pessimistic. And he goes on and he says, but to remain faithful, sorry, to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. But it would be good for me if I stayed. It would be good for you if I stayed. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ because of my coming to you again. He says, you know what, I know that I can... I can probably benefit you guys. I want to come back to you, minister to you, encourage you, and that's going to be a benefit to you, so I know that I'm going to stay. He's so confident in, in what God's plan is that he knows what the future holds, and that's not always something that we can always do, but, but if you read the book of Acts, I would encourage you to do so. There's these moments toward the end as he's approaching Rome, and, uh, and people think, oh, he's going to die. You know, they're about to be shipwrecked, and like, we're all going to die. He's like, we're not going to die. Just do this. Listen to me, we're not going to die. They get shipwrecked, and, and they don't die. And then they go, and they're, they're brought, and the locals bring them around a fire, warm them up, and, and he, they're sitting around the fire, and he throws a log in and, and uncovers a, a viper, and the viper bites him. And everyone's like, oh, no, he's going to die. And he's just like, Ugh, and, and shakes it into the fire. And like, they're surprised. But he's not surprised because he knows that everything and every step forward is a step in God. That whatever happens, he knows he has a purpose and a plan. Now, you may not have the kind of uh, precision vision about what your plan is, what God's plan is for your life, but you can be assured that every step you take in obedience is a step that God has planned and purposed for your life. And you can have confidence in those steps. He's very honest. He says for me to live is to, to live for Christ and to die is gain. And he's wrestling but he ultimately lands on the fact that I'm going to stick around. Um, and, and we can be confident that as we stick around, God has purpose for us. If we've trusted in God, he's working everything for our good. It says in Romans chapter 8 that God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. In Philippians chapter 1, he's already said it. What he has begun, he will bring to completion. In Ephesians 2 chapter, 10, or chapter 2 verse 10, it says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. You and I have been created for a purpose. You've been crafted 
and shaped and your life circumstances have given you gifts and abilities and talents and, and context and that, that will enable you to do exactly what God has called you to do. I could not step into your life and do what God has called you to do because I am not you. And Galatians 6.9 says that if we uh, will not give up, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. God is working in your life, family. I want you to hear that. God is working in your life. You may have come today thinking, if God would just fix such and such, I could really follow him better. But, but maybe, maybe God has allowed you to be in that circumstance precisely to accomplish his purpose. He doesn't want you to escape. He doesn't want you to pull the eject. He wants you to lean in and say, God, what do you want me to do in this situation? And he wants you to set your eyes on eternity so that the pain that you feel isn't the thing that's driving the ship to mix metaphors. Maybe you've placed your hope in something other than the gospel today. Um, lesser hopes are like chairs with broken legs. They won't hold you up. But if you'll set your eyes on Jesus and the way, the way he set his eyes on his own mission, you'll have the kind of gospel tenacity that gives way to joy. Sounds good. What does that even look like? I'm like, okay, Pastor Eddie, let's go have gospel tenacity. I'll you know, get some pencils and break them and remind myself of something. Here are three things that I would just... Do one of these things, do none of these things, do all of them. Think about what I said and do something else. One thing you can do, write Romans 6.23 on a note card. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And think about what the gift of uh, eternal life means while you're at the grocery store. While you're standing in line, waiting for Susan to, to, to check out, and not Susan here, but just the, the person in front of you. Think about, okay, what, is, what does eternal life have to do with me being here at Giant. Or you could write a list of all the benefits you have as a child of God. Eternal life, unconditional love, power to change by the Spirit, a new identity free from brokenness and the sin of your past, present, and future, an eternal family, a guidebook for, for life, a, a great big brother in Jesus Christ. Think about the benefits that you have. Do some things that will draw your eyes beyond these, these years into eternity. It's going to sound a little macabre, but, but go to a cemetery. And, and, and as the psalmist says, number your days. And remember, this life is short, but there's something coming up afterwards. Write Ephesians 2.10 on a piece of paper. You know, I'm, I'm God's workmanship created for good works, which he prepared beforehand. And, and begin to think to, about your, what are those good works that he's prepared? Think about big good works. Think about small good works. Sometimes we're like, Big, God wants me to plant a church and, and, and start an international mission. And God's like, I just want you to be nice to your wife. <laughs> and that, that may be the big thing. That's good work. I want, you to, I want you to spend time with your children. I want you to, to stop having such a short temper with your coworkers. And then pick one of those things and do it right away. Family, when you understand that your salvation is secure, neither life nor death can rob you of your joy. The only thing that can rob you of your joy is you. So set your eyes on Jesus. Remember Christian's amazing strength and yet his inability to break <laughs> eternity. 
Thank you for keeping my analogy intact. Um, Set your eyes on Jesus and allow that to inform your present. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace and mercy on our lives. And I I pray for those who are in the middle of difficulty. God, there are some people in this room who, who they're wrestling because life is hard. And so, God, would you comfort them? Would you encourage them? Would you help them to see that you weep with those who weep, you mourn with those who mourn? And at the same time, God, would you give them a vision of eternity, a vision of, of your goodness and your glory that enables them to, to draw themselves above and beyond their present circumstances? There's some in this room, God, I, I know that, that haven't trusted in you, and they need to trust you, that the idea of happiness that extends into eternity is foreign to them. If that's you, if you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you want to today, would you raise your hand? I just want to pray for you. It's an opportunity for you to trust him, to experience real joy. Well, God, we pray that you bless, and help us, strengthen us. All these things we pray in Jesus' name.